0: What does it take to be mentally and emotionally healthy when working in healthcare, and why are depression, anxiety, and even suicide more common than ever among healthcare workers? Let's talk all about it with my guest, Molly Hillig-Rodriguez, right here on episode 235 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to the Nurse Keith Show. I am, as always, so grateful that you're here, whether it's your first time tuning in or you've been hanging out with me on the virtual airwaves for months or years. Thank you for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, and beyond. This episode of The Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by Trusted Health, who've replaced the traditional job search and staffing approach with an intelligent matching platform that empowers nurses to discover opportunities that fit their unique experiences and goals. Instead of a commissions-based recruiter, Trusted Health uses nurse advocates who work commission-free, thus their goal is to connect each nurse to the travel assignments they want and supporting them every step of the way. Check them out at TrustedHealth.com com And I thank Trusted Health for their generous support. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, you can follow along at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 235. We are welcoming friend of the pod Molly Hillig Rodriguez to the Nurse Keith show, and Molly, I want to jump right in and ask what you're seeing when it comes to the ability of healthcare workers and leaders to remain healthy, happy, and emotionally balanced at work. From your perspective, what's going on out there, Molly?
1: Oh, that's that's such a big that's such a big question. It I'm is. so glad you asked it. <laughs> I can only speak from my perspective and Mm -hmm. what I'm seeing in my field of work. And yes, that is professional and personal development for registered nurses, because we need more amazing nurse leaders out there. And I know so many nurses are being placed into leadership roles and maybe feeling a little ill-prepared to lead other humans, Mm -hmm. Uh, because essentially that is what a leader does is we inspire other people to to bring out the best in them so that they can be their best at their place of work and at their and in their home life. And so what I'm seeing happen in the nursing fields and Keith I would love to hear your perspective on this is we are needing more and more nurse leaders and we're also needing more advanced practice nurses to fill gaps in healthcare today. Whether that and there's also a trend of of course more flexibility for nurses, whether they're working from home or they're working outside a hospital setting. And so with more nurse leaders being needed, so many amazing clinical nurses who are phenomenal at what they do clinically, they have really amazing attributes of a leader or what has kind of been decided in healthcare as an amazing leader such as showing up on time, working hard, staying late, following through with all of their charting, always having a positive attitude and those people are being taken and placed into or promoted into a leadership role. And of course, as any nurse, what a huge honor to be given a leadership role. But I think what nurses are finding when they get there, and this is also happening in physician leadership as well, amazing physicians clinically are being placed into leadership roles. And then the nurse and the physician is going, oh my gosh, I don't actually know how to lead other people. I don't know how to bring out the best in them. And they feel ill-prepared in their roles they feel more stressed at their job, and it can lead to higher burnout rates. That doesn't happen to everyone, but I would say that is a trend that's happening in healthcare. And because we are, there's such a huge demand for for registered nurses and physicians today. Um, we, as a healthcare community, really have to keep up with. We have to keep up with how to properly train and how to properly inspire and how to properly experientially educate registered nurses so that they can grow into these leadership roles, Hmm. also for physicians.
0: Really good points there. Boy, that's a lot to unpack. So when I mentioned in that first question, the notion of staying mentally healthy, you definitely mentioned things about burnout and turnover and people just feeling that they're not prepared for what they're doing. And that's definitely an issue. And we're going to get into all different aspects of this, but I'm, I'm disturbed these days by what I hear from nurses, whether they're in leadership or not. What I'm hearing is people are burned out. Staffing is an ongoing issue, ad nauseum, and people feel like they need to do or are being asked to do too much with too few resources, too little time, and too little staff. And that goes Mm -hmm. for doctors and nurses and everyone else in between. So I'm hearing that all over the place. And then also from people who are in leadership, I'm hearing the same thing. They feel like either they're ill-prepared or they're not being given the resources to lead in the way they would like to lead. And if they were educated in leadership, like in an MSN program, for instance, they feel like they can't do what they learned because they can't because they have too many other things to do too many balls in the air so to speak so Mm -hmm. i feel like there's disturbing trends happening one trend that i've spoken about before and written about is that apparently the statistics show that one physician in the united states commits suicide a day so about 400 a year and that's an estimate so we're seeing this in nurses too, and all sorts of stress-related illness coming out. So what are you gleaning in your work with organizations? Because you work with large organizations. What, what are you hearing on the street about that?
1: Well, I think you hit it. Really, I think you hit it right on the head, Keith, that mm-hmm. physician and nurse suicide rates are increasing, actually per capita physician suicide rates are higher than people who are retired or recently being recently retiring from the military. Right. So it's astronomical rates. It's horrific. It's sad to think about. It pains my heart. I've actually had a close friend who has taken his life. Oh, I'm so um, sorry. Ph- yeah, I know a physical therapist and mm. my heart feels for him, his whole work family, his family. So it's a reality. So what you said is yes, it's true, it's a reality, and people are saying we have to do something about it, we have to do something about it, we have to do something about it, but people really don't know what to do. And I will claim I am not an expert in suicide, okay. but these conversations have come up, and it is a topic that means a lot to me, and something has to be done. So, suicide, again, is a huge topic, but what I understand of suicide, particularly in healthcare, are a few things. One, our work truly as our family. And we bring we bring the best and the worst of ourselves to our place of work. Uh simply because in healthcare, especially in a hospital setting, we are there for an astronomical amount of time.
0: Which <laughs> We're
1: we're with our work family all the time. Right. And for better or for worse. And in other uh, professions, the trend is allowing people to have a lot more flexibility, right? They can work from home or they can take different days off or they can, you know, work half a day from home. That's just not possible in healthcare because we actually have to be hands-on for patient care Mm -hmm. unless we work in some sort of remote position. So one, our work environment drastically affects our mental health, our physical health, our mental health, our spiritual health. All three of those things are highly affected by the place that we work. So I think leaders in an organization have to think about, and this is something I address every single day with leaders of organizations, what is the environment of your workspace? When is the last time you've actually spoken to the janitor all the way up to the C-suite level? And how do people experience their lives at their place of work? Mm -hmm. Do they feel heard? Do they feel valued? Do they feel appreciated? Do they feel understood? Those are huge things. Now, not all of the responsibility of someone's mental health, of course, is placed on the healthcare organization. If someone is taking their life or dying by suicide, research proves that there are many warning signs. They struggle with mental health, they may struggle with addiction, they may have had trauma in their past life that they haven't had the opportunity to work through. However, it is the responsibility of the organization to bring out the best in their employees. Therefore, I think it is so important, and I think it's everyone's responsibility, especially the employer, to be offering spaces that are safe, that are growthful, that employees feel heard and valued, and of course, that they absolutely have that safe space to talk about traumas. Mm-hmm. Because someone who is working in healthcare is going to experience trauma, whether it's in the ER or it's in the operating room or a patient passes away. Those are traumas that we experience as humans. And in healthcare, I think another unfortunate trend that we see are most C-suite sections think that they have amazing staff that knows how to train their employees, how to be great leaders. And they think that they have staff that knows how to walk their employees through whether it's like a debriefing session or how to walk them through trauma. Unfortunately, it's just not a reality. People in HR are wonderful employees. They do a great job at what they know how to do. But what they don't know how to do well is walk people through trauma or how to train them in leadership. They're trained in human resources, not necessarily in developmental or personal leadership. So I touched on three topics. One, we have to have a thriving, amazing work environment. So as leaders, whether it's at the C-suite level or just or a manager, and I almost said just, but a manager is so important to an employee, we have to get out of the box thinking. So the current programs that we have aren't working. They're not working. So we have to think of something new and refreshing. So we have to get out of the box. Two, are there the warning signs that someone is really struggling with mental health or they're struggling with something like something they're really going through? And are we present enough as employees to actually notice that in our fellow work staff and our fellow family staff? And third, really our HR departments or even our in-house leadership programs are not doing the best job at really training humans to be the best that they absolutely can be so they can bring the best of themselves to work. So I I hope I answered your question.
0: You did (laughs) more than enough. It's great. And first, I wanna say that what you are talking about when you say C-suite for those, for any listener who might not know what that means, that means like the, um, the chief nursing officer, the the CEO, the CNO, the CFO, the COO, right? That's C-suite, right? So it's the, the executives in an organization. And also it sounds like what you're talking about is culture. We're talking about workplace culture. And I'm actually writing an article about that right now in culture. Yeah. The workplace means many, many things. Part of it means how we treat each other. Right.
1: I absolutely agree.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, it's how I we absolutely great. Right, it's how we treat each other, how we train one another. It has to do with like, do you get an exit interview when you leave? Do you get a check-in periodically from your manager? Is there bullying and is bullying tolerated? Do they turn a blind eye to it or do they try to get rid of the bullies and change the culture of the workplace? So there's so many different pieces here. And, you know, you're in your mid thirties, right? Yes, I am. So you're,
1: I am a millennial. I'm the first year of millennials.
0: Right. Yeah. My son just turned 36 today. So he's like the very, 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 very oldest millennial, or maybe not even a millennial. but he is in that cohort with you, you know, not far from your age, a little older. And, you know, the millennial generation is becoming the largest segment, already is the largest segment of the workforce in almost every industry. And we're seeing millennials enter into politics as well. Look at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York, the the new congresswoman. So we're seeing this happen everywhere. And If we're talking about leadership pipelines and we want to keep millennials in the healthcare workforce and have them be the next leaders because they need to take over, right? So, you know, as as the older generation's fall away and give way to retirement and whatever, then the millennials need to be trained and ready to step into those leadership positions. And if we're not taking care of our culture, if we're burning people out, if people are literally killing themselves over the stress at work, who's going to want to enter in the leadership to try to fix it all? So, It's such a huge issue and I'm curious in your work with organizations, because that's what you do, how do you open those conversations? What do you actually do to get these, to have people talk about this hard stuff and are they willing to do so?
1: Such a great, great topic. Really good question. So let's break it down. What does Empower Yourself Coaching actually do? Right. Go for it. three simple things. The first is we help, we help organizations accurately see how their staff performs and how they feel about their work environment. And we do that through a few fun, different assessments, Mm -hmm. whether that's personal interviews with staff, or it's an actual, it's an actual survey. The second thing that we do, we have three amazing accredited programs which focus on three different areas. The first is how to, how to help a human being learn how to vision, right? Every organization has a mission statement and a vision. And a lot of times people just wear it on their badge or the back of their badge and they never look at it. And it's, it's hard to understand what a mission or a vision is. So we help people actually create a personal mission and vision so that they can aspire or emulate to the best version of themselves. And we're not just talking about leaders. We're talking about all employees, because I believe Empower Yourself Coaching believes that every employee has a right to thrive. They just don't know how to yet. And we're actually not trained in nursing school how to thrive. We hear about this word leadership. I remember when I was in nursing school and I graduated in O dark hundred. <laughs> <It's like laughs> when we had one class, my senior year of high or my senior year of college, and it was like nursing leadership. It's going to be the most important in your class, and it was like eight weeks long, and we talked about a d- bunch of different theories of leadership. But there's no actual experiential learning outside of. Maybe doing clinical rotations, and in clinical rotations, you're not necessarily talking about leadership or getting amazing feedback to grow yourself as a leader. You're terrified. You're mm-hmm. like, "Oh my gosh, I'm going to clinicals. How am I no going to do this. Right. And so we we teach teams through three accredited programs how to vision, how to experientially step into leadership roles, and what that means. Tony Robbins has this amazing phrase. It's called the two millimeter shift. And a two-millimeter shift over a period of time, so a two-millimeter shift that happens every single day in our personality, in our leadership style, in the way that we show up to work and engage. And let me break that down, what it means to engage, to have conversations with your staff to ask validating questions or clarifying questions, to look your patients in the eye and have a really amazing spiritual moment with your patients so that you can get filled up while filling up your patient. Mm. So all of these little things that we hear these words like engagement – Are actually, if you break it down, it's learning, it's relearning how to be a human. It's relearning how to be the best human that you can possibly be, being the best registered nurse that you can be. So we experientially train people how to vision, how to create their own mission statement, how to have courageous conversations. Again, that's a little bit of a jargony word. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to break that down. It's like speaking truth, standing up for yourself, standing up for other employees, intervening when you actually see bullying happening, speaking truths to other people, giving clear and accurate feedback, learning how to receive feedback and take that feedback and switch it into a moment so that you can use it instantaneously. And then the third thing that we do is how to work in alignment with your personal values So every day when you show up to work, you feel filled up instead of drained at the end of the day. So we train on those three topics, and then we do one-on-one telephonic coaching to just continue to integrate the content and the material.
0: Wow. So this is pretty comprehensive. And a lot of this sounds like the stuff we should learn in school, but we don't because Yesterday, I was interviewing my friend Damian Keith Jenkins, and he helps people pass the NCLEX. That's his Mm. specialty. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how people or schools teach to the test. That's what they need to do. And that's what happens in public school, too, right? They're teaching Mm -hmm. to the test because that's how they get accredited and hold on to their accreditation, et cetera, et cetera, right? So Mm -hmm. if they're always teaching to the test and... Sure, there might be leadership questions on the NCLEX, but you know, it's not going to be this this depth of where you go in your work and where I want to take people and I try to take people. So there's a lot missing when we graduate from school. So you get out of school, you work on the floor for nine months, and then they're like, oh, you want to be charged? And you're like, uh okay, (laughs) what do I do? And then maybe you'll shadow a charge nurse for a couple hours to figure out what the heck he or she does. And, or maybe you already knew, but you know, you haven't done it before. And then all of a sudden they want to promote you to manager. And you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do, do employee evaluations. I don't know how to support people. So from your perspective, from what you're seeing, do you feel that the millennials out there, and I have to say, I love the millennial generation. I say this over and over again. I think your generation are taking the reins of a broken society on many levels. And I have a lot of faith that things are going to get turned around in many different areas. I just wanted to say that. So, you know, are you seeing that people your age and younger out in the healthcare workforce are they feeling the fire in their belly to do this? Are they wanting to embrace this type of self-awareness and self-empowerment, and then take it to the to a bigger venue like a whole workplace? Is that occurring?
1: That I honestly don't know if I can answer that question a hundred percent. But what I what I will speak to is something that we all know and love, Simon Sinek, Harvard grad. Economist, he has just brought so many amazing topics around millennials to the table. And what he says is today, suicide rates are increasing in millennials. Millennials are more anxious than they have ever been. Our generation is more anxious than any other generation. Our generation is more depressed than any other generation. Hmm. And our generation is also feels more isolated and struggles socially more than any other generation. So I th- I think hearing those statistics, there is a huge outcry that something yes has to change. Okay. I don't think as millennials we know what it is. I don't think we can tactfully say like, Oh, I really want a leadership dream. That's okay. going to teach me to communicate better. That's going to teach me to have vision. That's going to teach me to feel purposeful at my place of work because they just don't understand what it is, mm-hmm. right? We are taught theoretical and clinical skills in school since we are five years old. And so we don't know any other way. And so I think What is very exciting though, Keith, when we actually lead these workshops, millennials start popping and light bulbs start going up. That's what's missing. That's what I don't know how to do yet. This is so great. This is so exciting. So you see the light
0: bulbs go off.
1: Yes, I see the light bulbs go off. Our millennials always highly participate in our trainings and plus the, the model of coaching they're open to the model of coaching mm-hmm. right we have we have to sometimes work with our seasoned generations which again thank gosh for our seasoned generations i'm so thankful they are extremely diligent our hard workers they know how to love on people they have been on the roller coaster of life they've gone through so many transitions in healthcare sure. so bringing those two generations together or bringing you know three generations together in the same room to talk about leadership, to talk about communication, visioning, and bringing values to our place of work, you just get really rich and diverse conversations. And they're so important for millennials to heal for, hear from seasoned employees. And it's also important for seasoned employees to hear from millennials. So it's just, it's a really fun environment. And I do love watching light bulbs go off over millennials' brains. Um <laughs> And we just, we have a lot of fun with it. Did I answer the
0: question? You did. And that must be very satisfying to see that happening in front of you. And we're going to take a really quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dig a little deeper into this, these generational differences that we see. And I also want to talk more about empower yourself coaching. And what we can do as individuals and organizations to change the calculus of what we're seeing out there. So we will be right back for the second half. This episode of the Nurse Keith Show is sponsored by Trusted Health, a company built by nurses for nurses to understand what opportunities exist and connect to them in the most efficient and transparent way possible. They've replaced the traditional job search and staffing approach with an intelligent matching platform. Empowering nurses to discover opportunities that fit their unique experiences, preferences, and goals. Instead of a commissions-based recruiter, Trusted Health uses nurse advocates, nurses just like you, some of whom have even traveled, who were commission-free. Because they're all commission-free, their goal isn't to get nurses into any open jobs. Instead, they focus on connecting each of their nurses to the travel assignments they want and supporting them every step of the way, before, during, and and after their assignment. And just in case you're wondering, they'll come right out and say it too. No, they don't hound you with phone calls and emails about jobs that you're not interested in, just the information you want when you want it. If you're interested, check out www.TrustedHealth.com forward slash Keith. That's TrustedHealth.com forward slash Keith. Fill out some basic information about your preferences and qualifications, and you can get started viewing job matches personalized for you in minutes. Join Trusted. They're not just an agency. They're a movement. And I thank Trusted Health for their generous support. Now, let's get back to the second half of this episode of The Nurse Keith Show. And thanks for hanging out here at the Nurse Keith Show, episode 235. We're here with Molly Hillig Rodriguez from Chicago and Empower Yourself Coaching. And Molly, we were just talking about suicide, about millennials, about generational differences, and about creating positive workplace culture. And to continue what we were talking about prior to the break, creating a culture where three generations can actually have ongoing conversations is important and there's always three generations in the workforce more or less right mm-hmm. so right now we have baby boomers who are sort of in the midst of retiring on mass we have gen x i'm sort of one of the one of the members of the older members of the gen x generation and then we have millennials and then the other generations are starting to enter the workforce So we're seeing this sea change happening and in terms of the millennial generation, every generation generally complains about the younger one, right? We hear it all the time. (laughs) Casting aspersions. Kind of like the younger sibling. (laughs) Exactly. Casting aspersions on the younger people. Oh, they've had it handed to them on a silver platter. Oh, they don't understand this and that. However, you were quoting some pretty disturbing statistics about the stress and anxiety and depression that millennials are experiencing in general. And I'm sure that goes for those who were involved in healthcare, which is a very stressful environment. And one of the points I always make is that The generation growing up and entering the workforce, they're not responsible for the world they're inheriting. And they're not responsible for the way they were parented, the way they were taught, or anything else that happened during their childhood or teenagehood, right? So they inherit the world that they're given. They work with the tools that they were given. And it's not our place to say, oh, they were coddled by their parents. Oh, everybody got trophies. That's not important. The important conversations are how do we work together and how do we help this new generation become the nurses and workers and leaders they need to be. So when you are in a room with those three generations, are you starting to see the light bulbs going off for everyone. And are you seeing the older folks also realizing that they have a responsibility in this particular milieu? Are you seeing that happen?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Of course. One of my favorite phrases to debunk is you cannot teach an, an old dog new tricks. We all know today that our brains are neuroplastic, yes, so you can teach a ninety nine year old a new belief, a new belief. they can actually start to say, for example, if someone was raised as a racist at ninety nine they can make the decision to no longer be racist it's amazing, mm-hmm. like it never ceases to amaze me that we have this amazing capacity as humans to change our belief system. However, one of the strongest systems to change, one of the most challenging systems to change in our brain is our neurohardwiring. at the same time, especially yes. if it's been a belief that we have believed for generations. If our parents were racist, most likely we're going to be racist and we will teach our children to be racist. So there are generational beliefs that can be very stro- challenging to shift. So why do I bring that up? Because absolutely you can teach an old dog new tricks and generations it doesn't matter what generation you are from. You absolutely have the opportunity with the correct training, the correct opportunities, a great environment and an opportunity to practice new skills. You can build new belief structures in your mind. And that is one of the most amazing gifts about being human. So yes, all generations light bulbs go off because we talk a lot about belief systems mm. and judgments that we hold as humans. As humans, our brains were designed by the universe or God or whatever you subscribe to, to create a judgment in a millisecond to keep ourselves safe. So it's very easy to say they're wrong. That's wrong. They're weird. It's that generation because we're trying to, it's a, it's a protection. It's a protection mode. And so it's so amazing when we integrate a skill, which is called the two second model, and when we start training people to start identifying their own personal judgments that they may carry about another staff member or a different generation and say, let me give myself two seconds and think about, hmm, where did this judgment really come from? Is it valid? Is <laughs> right. it real? Is, is it, it, it my true? grandfather
0: speaking? Is yes. it my English teacher from 10th grade speaking? Yeah. Yes. What is this voice I'm channeling right now? Or exactly. yeah, where did it come from? Right.
1: Yes. So that's one of my favorite tools to integrate is the two second rule. And it simply is offering people the space, which they can do anytime. They could do it at home with their children. They could do it at their place of work. They could do it with the patient. And when we teach people to learn where their own personal judgments came from, they start to integrate this amazing tool that's called kindness. Hmm. And when we can learn to be kind to ourselves and start understanding where our own personal judgments came from, we can learn to be kind to other people. And so, yeah. So I love to integrate that skill. It is a lifelong journey, but it's so amazing when people start learning simple things like that.
0: Oh, thank you. That is wonderful. And right now I want to recommend a book to you and And if there's a nurse out there or somebody listening who this book resonates with, I'll say that the author, the author, I'm speaking like someone from New Jersey because I am from New Jersey. The author is going to be on the Nurse Keith show not long from now. So the book is called The War for Kindness Building Empathy in a Fractured World. And it's by Jameel Zaki, and he is going to be on the show in the next month or two. So this book is really about the building of the empathy muscle and how we've lost it in our culture and how we need to build it back up. So I think this book is really going to speak to you and the people who work with you, the contractors who do this work with you in healthcare systems, because building empathy is where it all starts. Don't you think?
1: I love it. Jamil, if if you're listening to this podcast, I want a copy of your book so I can read it.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'll talk to him. So it's, it's so crucial for us to realize that Yeah, we can be empathic with patients, and we definitely want to do that, right? I mean, we want to learn to not be judgmental. We want to learn to accept other people's cultures and beliefs and folkways and mores and family structures and who they love and who they don't love, et cetera, right? However, we need to also apply that to the housekeeping staff who arrive on the unit to clean up the room where there was just a code. Or we want to apply it to the physical therapist who just came on duty, and we need to make sure she knows what's going on with the patient she's going to see. Or our fellow nurse who's in the break room having a couple minutes to sit there and cry because she has something really intense going on in her personal life. So we need to build the empathy muscle. And it sounds like that's really what you're doing here in a lot of the work you're engaged in.
1: Yes, I will make one small caveat, please, that empathy cannot happen until we build it for ourselves.
0: Okay. And can you say a little bit more about building empathy for yourself? What, what do you mean? Yeah. And how do you relate that to the work that you're doing out there in the world?
1: Absolutely. So empathy is a huge topic in healthcare. The word gets thrown around loosely. Mm-hmm. We must first be empathic with ourselves. And that means we have to be kind to ourselves first. I will use a very simple, a very, very simple phrase. Okay. Oh, I'm so fat. I hate my thighs. That's like a common thing many, many women say about themselves. Mm-hmm. And a woman will never, ever learn to stick to the meal plan or the lifestyle that she wants until she says, okay, gosh, you know what? These are the thighs that I have right now. It's okay. I'm going to love myself anyways. That's when she starts to lose weight.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So if she's, I'm sorry. So if she's engaged in that weight loss, but she's hating herself every moment, you're saying that that's going to sabotage the process.
1: Absolutely. Okay. And that's human behavior. Mm-hmm. We think if we're harder on ourselves, that we can perform better. We cannot make a mistake next time. We can do it differently. We'll be better. But the, actually, it's it feels so wrong that when, when we make a mistake or we find ourselves being hard on ourselves that in that moment, we actually have to be kind to ourselves. And that's actually what
0: causes change. Oh, being kind to ourselves, man, that's, that's asking a lot for certain people, especially <laughs> if they've been fed all sorts of terrible stuff their whole life. And
1: I know, Oh God, I
0: mean, good boy, we could do this for hours. This but is a
1: whole other podcast, right? <laughs> that's a whole
0: other podcast. But I, I want to take a step back and say that you're a professionally certified coach. So you've learned how to work with people and how to empower them them. And you're also a nurse, right? You have a bachelor's of science in nursing, and you also have a master's in public health. So you can also see the big picture. You can see the forest for the trees with that MPH. So I assume that helps you pull the camera back to look at the, the organizational and societal issues at play. And you have said that in your life and in your career, you've seen how we're very quick to blame others. We're very quick to not take responsibility for ourselves and our own actions and our belief systems and our behavioral systems that we're inured to that impedes us from really performing at our best and being our best in relationship. So <laughs> I guess the question I have coming out of that is from your perspective, Do you feel hopeful for what will come in the next, let's say 10 years or 20 years as the millennial generation comes into power and we see this desire for a sea change culturally within healthcare and beyond? Are you feeling hope? Are you feeling optimism right now?
1: That's such a great question. Absolutely. Okay.
0: Tell me more about that.
1: (laughs) I would say I'm actually not an optimist, okay, <laughs> um but I am extremely hopeful I, more than hopeful. I know that my belief is that we as humans choose our reality right this is my, this is the coach in me. We choose our reality, and I believe when people have more i think we're in one of the most exciting times because we I have so much technology. We have ways to engage and interact with people in whole new ways. And so I feel the more people that we can touch, not only in Empower Yourself coaching, there are many wonderful organizations out there, and there are many cool nurses doing such cool things to improve the profession. And we have access to that, whether it's online training or in person. So I am extremely hopeful for the future. And I do believe. Every single day, each one of us has the opportunity. I don't care if this sounds cliche, has the opportunity to make the world a better place by showing up at work and bringing the best version of ourselves. And so I really believe, as millennials or as continued generations continue to join healthcare, we're, things are only going to get better. And so So, yes, I am hopeful. And yes, I think the more that we can train our nurses right now on effective leadership skills. And I want to speak to you said uh, how I have seen teams that have blamed and justified. One of my favorite tools to teach in our training program is Daniel Cartman's Drama Triangle.
0: Hmm. Tell me about the Drama Triangle.
1: Oh, goodness. I love it. It's an oldie but a goodie. It was designed in 1962. And Daniel Cartman's research states that systems, such as whole societies, workplaces, families, and even personally, we can choose to live. We either unconsciously live in a state of drama 99% of the time, or we consciously choose to be outside of it by identifying what level of drama we're in. So Keith, I want you to imagine a a triangle in front of you. And at the very top of the triangle, the word victim is written. Okay. And then at the lower right-hand corner, Is the persecutor. I'm writing this down
0: right now. I'm drawing it out. Right.
1: I know. Everyone who's listening, grab a pen and paper if you can. Okay. And then in the lower left hand corner is the hero. And what is true for the nursing profession is most people lie within the hero. And I will briefly explain what each one is. So the victim is someone who. Who does not assume responsibility that is theirs. So a victim may sound like, oh, this always happens to me. Or gosh, this is so hard. I can't do it. Or "Oh, no one ever wants to help me. Poor me. Woe is me. Mm -hmm. And victims tend to struggle with sickness more than any, any other people. The next one is the persecutor. The persecutor pushes responsibility that is theirs onto either an, an object that is not human or another human or a circumstance. So like I wouldn't have been late today if they all, there weren't to been so many red lights or my kids would have gotten ready on time. <laughs> it's their fault. This patient was taking forever. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get them out of the shower. They're so slow and so grumpy today. Or, you know, Sally didn't, didn't finish her job. So it's not my job to finish her job. It's, it's blaming or it's pushing responsibility onto someone else. Persecutors tend to be more of that bully type role. And then the third is the most dangerous because it's the most socially accepted, particularly in healthcare. So the hero is someone who assumes responsibility that is not theirs. And they're the person who says, Oh gosh, you guys, this is gonna don't worry. Let's look on the positive side. They often add a silver lining to yucky situations. Mm. Or they'll say, I will take care of that responsibility for you. Don't worry about it. You can do it. It's all good. You should follow these instructions because your life will be better when you listen to me. Uh. So they it's the most socially accepted role. So it's often the most dangerous role, and this is the high burnout role. And as nurses, we tend to fall into that hero or persecutor role very often because we feel like, Ooh, gosh, good on me. I told that patient how to live their life and how to take their medication properly. So now they can live a great life.
0: Right. And I've written and talked about and done a podcast about what I call nurse martyr syndrome. Mm. So I feel like the heroes can also maybe seek into martyrdom because they're like, Oh yeah, I did this. I did that. I took care of this. I took care of that person. I fixed this problem. And then they could then seek into victim, like, oh, no one ever does anything for me. I'm always fixing everyone." So I feel like, like kind of in in tune with the the grief process, you know, they're not linear. You know, you can go into bargaining, grief sadness, anger back again, right? So I feel like with this drama triangle and maybe throw martyrdom in there too, as a subset, we can see through all of those at any given time. And they're feels like there's a lot of danger there. And I can see that you have a really deep understanding of this from a systemic standpoint, but also from a personal standpoint in terms of individual people. And it must be interesting for you to observe it in action when you're in the room with 30 people from some hospital system. And you're like, oh, I can see exactly who the hero is in this room. Right.
1: (laughs) Or, you know, what's what's scary is Mm -hmm. when I see it in myself, or I call my husband out and he's like, Hey, stop using that coaching model on me.
0: Right. I'm not your client. Yeah. It is one of my
1: favorite tools to to share with Mm -hmm. registered nurses because the more that we can step out of our personal drama Mm -hmm. is when we truly empower people.
0: So the more we can step out of our personal drama or trauma, Mm -hmm. we could say, the Mm -hmm. more we can empower other people. And I would assume we can also empower ourselves when we can take what I would call the witness self. We can move into a witness stance and be a little removed from the situation and take that two second pause you were mentioning and say, oh, oh, I see where I'm at. I see what I'm doing in this situation. Let me make a shift. And of course, wouldn't it be great we could do that in our marriages, like at the drop of a hat? Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) That's probably the worst place, the hardest place to do it, actually, is with the people we love the most. But Molly, you, you do incredible work, and I wish we had more time. And I want you to tell any listener out there who wants to learn more about empower yourself coaching or who maybe wants to try to get you to come to their hospital to do this work, where do they go in order to find you and connect with you and ask you some questions about what you offer?
1: Yes. Uh, I would, I always love to hear questions from listeners, and I love to have dialogues, uh, please reach out to me at my business email at molly, M-O-L-L-Y, at org, or jump on our website at org. Would love to have a conversation with what's going on at your place of work. And if I can be of service, nothing brings me greater joy.
0: Great. And then you're also on Facebook, Empower Yourself Coaching, right? We are. So that's your main social media platform that you all are using right now. It is good. Okay. So all of this is going to be in the show notes. I also want to try to get a link to Cartman's, the triangle you were talking about, the drama triangle. I'd like to have that in there and any other resources that you and I talked about today. This is all really important work and I can't thank you enough for making sure that, you and the people you work with are out there doing this work with hospital and healthcare organizations. So really good on you for making it happen. And I look forward to hearing how your work develops over time.
1: Thank you so much for having me on today. What an honor to to partner with you.
0: Oh, it's wonderful. And the show notes will be up at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 235. I hope if you're listening out there, I hope you can feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. I encourage you to take inspired action every day. Maybe that'll be Going to empoweryourselfcoaching.org, having a conversation with Molly, and maybe figuring out how to bring her to your organization. Think about that. And when you go to NurseKeith.com, remember that in the resources drop down in the menu at the top of the website, you'll find jobs from ZipRecruiter, you'll find jobs from Reload.com, you'll also find free ACLS and BLS certification if you have a recert or an initial cert to do. Find Find it there, So there's plenty on nursekeith.com to check out. And remember that The Nurse Keith Show is edited and produced by Tim Hollowell and his team at thepodcastinggroup.com. And Mark Cappiespeason is our social media maven. Please keep tuning in again and again, as we continue to explore how to powerfully elevate your life and career, and maybe even the life of those around you into your very own personal and professional stratosphere. So be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Molly Hillig Rodriguez bidding you adieu from
1: Chicago. Thanks so much, folks.
0: Thank you so much, Molly, and we will catch you on the flip side.